Good evening, and it's good to be back with you. And if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Job chapter 2. I'm going to start to read at verse 1 of Job 2. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth, going to and fro on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now, stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. When Job's friends, Eliphath, the Temanites, Bildad, the Shuhites, and Zophar, the Nathanites, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then he sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. Let's pray. Oh, Father, again we thank you for these words, and we just come to them this evening and as we do we we just want you to guide us through what we have read and teach us what you would have us learn from this passage father we bring these things before you in the name of jesus amen well this um scene here is the scene back in heaven and what I'd like us to do this evening uh, is to maybe after we've had this time together, if you sit down and read this passage again quietly, but read it in the light of the fact that this is Easter week. You know, we've witnessed Job's reaction after having all his material and personal possessions torn away from him within a space of 24 hours. We've also witnessed his reaction as he, in the midst of mourning his loss, 
praised God. That verse we looked at last week, 21 of chapter 1. This is Job's words. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. You know, Solomon endorses these words of Job in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 15, this is what Solomon wrote. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. I was thinking about these words, and, you know, words are easily spoken. It's the walk that's hard, as we try to live by the words that we say. And in Job's case, the, the, these were not just words from his mouth. This is a statement from his heart, a statement of how he would continue to live through his constant sorrow. You know, the pain does not go away. He would carry this burden with him. You know, a phrase that you've often heard and maybe even had it said to you, the phrase is this, the pain won't necessarily go away, but we will learn how to live with it. What do we know about this man, Job? What we know tells us that every day from here on in, he would live with not only the pain but also the comfort of a daily reminder from the words he said. The pain the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. The comfort, may the name of the Lord be praised. And let's remember that Job does not know what we know. He doesn't know why this is happening to him. But his faith is in knowing the Lord it's not in the knowing the why and the wherefore. So before we continue on the journey through the book of Job, we need to spend a short time to consider the subject of suffering so that we can take with us some, let's call them ground rules, that will help us to understand things a little better, the things that we are about to see. First of all, this once perfect world is no longer perfect. And we live with the consequences of Adam's sin. Secondly, Jesus, who is known as the second Adam, has come to us with the means of redemption and restoration. Thirdly, we live in the days when all of creation suffers. Paul in Romans chapter 8 tells us that creation is groaning, but the result of it will be new birth. Romans 8 verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Fourthly, let's stay in the same passage as Paul tells us, there is hope in the Lord. This is in verse 18 of chapter 8. 
I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You know, this is a great passage of encouragement. If you get a chance, sit down and read the whole chapter. But for this morning, uh, I just want to share with you one more verse from it. And this is verse 39 of chapter 8. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember that verse in relation to Job as we continue through the passage. Let's go to point five. We all experience suffering and we all die. Why? Romans 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Here's the glory bit. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And finally, item six that we need to think about. As we look at the reasons of Job's suffering, we will also look at why believers suffer. And we'll look at how believers deal with suffering. We know that suffering at some time or other will be part of our lives because it is part of life. It is part of being human. Okay, let's look at this. We might suffer from the consequences of sin. Last week, I said that suffering can be the result of our chosen lifestyle. I played a lot of sport and I now suffer from joint pain. Now, as Christians, as believers, some of our chosen lifestyle might offend God. And if that is the case, we will know that we suffer as a direct result of that sin, that thing that we are doing that is wrong. What should we do? Well, we should turn away from it. We should turn to the Lord and we turn knowing that When we do that, it doesn't necessarily mean that we will be immune from the results of our sin. With this in mind, think about David, a man after God's own heart. But he wasn't perfect. There was a point where he suffered family grief and he suffered from the adultery with Bathsheba. We can read all about that in our Bibles. And Psalm 50 is a penitent psalm from David. As believers, disasters that happen to us are not necessarily God judging us for our sin. Although the final judgment will be his, and he does have the right and the wherewithal to do this. But on this point, let's consider Luke chapter 13, verse 1 to 5. On this occasion, the disciples asked Jesus about certain men, men who had died in tragic circumstances, and they thought that, well, maybe they were being punished because of their sin. So they mentioned the situation of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices, and then they mentioned the 18 men who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. These were news items of their day. And they were saying, is this because they were sinners? God is judging them? That's what the disciples asked. Was this a punishment for their sin? But Jesus answered, listen what he said. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? 
So I want us to keep that verse in mind as well as we go through the, the book of Job. Keep in mind the words of Jesus. This is one of the presuppositions that will be made by Job's friends. Let's move on. You know, God can and does sometimes chastise you and I as believers, as Christians. And Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12, this is what the writer says. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Why? Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. You know, the apostles suffered and the apostles were rejected. And when that happened, it tested and proved and refined their faith. This is another means of suffering. Acts 5 verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Why? Because they had been counted worthy of suffering. Suffering what? Disgrace for the name. That is the name of Jesus. Let's consider something else. Let's consider how God chose Paul. And he chose Paul knowing that Paul would suffer. How do I know that? Well, he tells us in Acts chapter 9 verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That was God speaking to Ananias about Paul. And we know that Paul did suffer. We see how his suffering was a means by which Paul grew spiritually. And as he grew into maturity and it became the instrument in the hands of God, which would bring about God's glory. But he suffered. Romans 5 verse 1 to 5. Therefore, this is Paul speaking. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. Great words from Paul when he speaks about the glory of God, but also the suffering that he went through. Paul rejoiced in his sufferings. Romans 5 verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Okay, so types of suffering are seen through the eyes of a believer. We are all people. This is everybody now, the whole world. All people live in a fallen world a world where suffering is part of this groaning creation. 
as a believer, we suffer at times because God loves us. It could be from us turning away from God and bringing about the need for a penitent heart like David. We might suffer so that God can correct us and bring us back to himself as we submit to his will. God can teach and refine us as he did with Paul so that we could be ambassadors for him. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1 verse 5. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. It is because God loves us. And our prayer should be, uh, and I was thinking about this, and I, I thought about Psalm 51 and verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So, with all these things in mind, we can consider how Job's suffering fits into these scenarios of how and why believers continue to suffer. And in order to do this, we're going to ask four questions. You might be surprised at the answer. Question one, is Job a sinner? The answer is a definite yes. In his own words in chapter 13, he refers to the sins of his youth. Question two, on this occasion is God judging Job for his sin? And the answer is no. You see, Job is a forgiven sinner and his sin has been covered. Thirdly, is Job being judged by God for sins that he is still committing? Because we do, don't we? We still live in a sin-cursed world. So is this why Job is being uh, judged? And the answer is no. Why do I say that? In the eyes of God, he is blameless and upright. He fears God, and this is the bid, and shuns evil. Okay, let's move on to the fourth question. Is God in the process of making Job into a better man? In other words, does Job, like all of us, need to grow in his faith? And the answer to this is no. How do we know that? Because God said, there is no one on earth like him. So we might be surprised to learn that none of these things justify the suffering that Job is having to endure or the sufferings that he will have to endure. You see, Job is unique. I don't think that God will ever say of you or me, there is no one on earth like him. That's the description he gave Job. So the question that is being asked here in the book of Job is this. Does Job only stay faithful to God because of the good things that God gives him? 
The reason that Job is suffering is to see if he will be faithful to God when all these blessings are removed. The outcome of all this is being observed by the heavenly hosts as Satan continues to challenge God and so the scene moves back from earth back to heaven. That is the passage that we read earlier. What do we see in all of this? Not just in this part, but in the whole book of Job. Well, we see the faith of Job. As, as this encourages us to see the strength of the trust that he has in God. And how eventually he will be the victor in the face of every opposition that Satan and Job's so-called friends will level against him. Even though Job is not aware of it. The fact that God is completely in control. So what I want us to do this evening for a few moments is to see how Job prefigures Jesus. That's why I said read through that passage that we've read together later this evening or maybe sometime over Easter and consider it in the light of this. Job prefigures Jesus. So let's consider this before we enter chapter 2 of Job. And this evening, we'll take a look at one or two things from this passage that are relevant to us this Easter week. Firstly, let us recall how God spoke about Job. He said, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. You see, Job is a sinner who suffered. On this occasion, he was not being judged for his sin. It was the Lord's will that Job would suffer. His suffering would reveal to us that it was not just the strength of Job's faith, but the strength of the one in whom Job had faith. As with Abraham, Job was made righteous in the sight of God. There was no one like Job on earth. Job was not being judged for his sin. Why? Because someone else had taken that punishment for him. And unlike Job, he is righteous by nature. He was righteousness personified. And it is by his righteousness that we, like Job, are made righteous. Philippians 1 verse 11 Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Let me read that again. Filled with the fruit of righteousness not our righteousness, but the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And this is to the glory and the praise of God. Secondly, 
Jesus is the one who suffered for Job's sins and our sins. And there was no one like him on earth, and there was no one like him in heaven. This is Jesus. Jesus had no sin, but he suffered for the sins of the world. It was because of this that Job was able to suffer as he did. His faith was in the Lord. It was the Lord's will that Job should suffer. It was the Lord's will that Jesus would suffer. With that in mind, let's go to Isaiah. I refer to Isaiah 53 a lot because it's a wonderful chapter. Verse 10. And this is how Isaiah speaks of Jesus' suffering. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and proclaim his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Let's go to the New Testament, Matthew 26, verse 39. Going a little further, this is Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. It was God it was God's will that Jesus suffer. Jesus submitted to God's will. And in all of this, this pain, this suffering, God is in control. I want us, as we finish this evening, uh, to look at the words of the Apostle Peter as he presented to the crowd gathered in Jerusalem and as he presents to us this evening the whys and the wherefores of the suffering that Jesus endured. You know, sometimes it's good to just let the Bible speak for itself. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through to 24, and listen to what Peter said. He's speaking to us through these same words. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You know, Peter went on, verse 38 to 39 of that chapter of Acts. And again, this is words for us this evening. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you, your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So during this Easter, as we 
have been looking at the sufferings of Job, let us consider the sufferings of Jesus. And as we do, let us remember that Jesus suffered for you and for me. Jesus suffered so that God's will will be done. The final question as we finish off this evening, what is God's will today? What is God's will for you and for me? Listen to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He said this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. As we finish these words this evening, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity we have to look at this book of Job, and we can see parallels within it, parallels that are relevant to the one who was perfect, the one who had no sin, the one who died, who died not to pay the price for his sin, but for our sin. And Father, we ask that during this Easter time, for those of us who know you, that we will understand something of the love you have for us, even through our times of suffering, and that we might, like Job, not turn to you and blame you for these things, but to be able to praise you through them. And Father, we thank you that Jesus is one who did the will of the Father, that we might be blessed. And the Father's will continues, and his will is that everyone should come to repentance, repentance through the power of the cross. Father, continue to bless us as we bring these things before you in the name of Jesus. Amen.